Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, who is back. Along with Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal, going to join us for the hour as John and Julia are off for the week. Today, the major averages are higher as we enter this last trading week of 2021. S&P got an all-time high today. NASDAQ's on pace to see gains of more than 22% for the year. Plus, as stocks rise, so does consumer spending. What e-commerce players uh, could benefit the most. And then Bitcoin, up better than 75% this year why one guest says uh, comparing the cryptocurrency to a Ponzi scheme is unfair to Ponzi schemes. <laughs> D? That'll be a fun interview. Uh, we will start, though, with the markets. The S&P hitting a record high. And Mike Santoli is with us looking at what stocks have had an outsized impact this year. Uh, let me guess, Mike, it is the mega caps, although certainly some divergence in their performance among that group. Yeah, absolutely, D. Uh, two of the big uh, mega caps that really have uh, pulled more than their weight is uh, Microsoft and Alphabet year to date. Alphabet up, you know, 66, 67 percent. Microsoft up 50 percent or so together, adding a one point six trillion dollars or so to the overall market cap of uh, the S&P 500. Clearly, uh, that's not necessarily something you would have predicted a year ago. Uh, clearly, without those two stocks, we would have been several percentage points lower on the S&P 500. It has brought a lot of this renewed criticism somehow that the market is too narrow. There's only a handful of stocks carrying things. That's not quite true. I think the very huge stocks, when they do compound at this level, obviously, if you're looking at the gross trillions added, they're going to have more uh, than their share responsible to them. But yeah, if you look at the average stock in the market, it is actually up plenty. Uh, you mentioned divergences within Megacap. Uh, you look at Microsoft and Alphabet compared to Amazon uh, on a year-to-date basis, and that's been very divergent. Uh, Amazon has done almost nothing. However, I don't think there's anything very much out of the ordinary with how Amazon has performed over two years if you compare it to what you might consider to be proxies for its main businesses, retail and, uh, and cloud. It's essentially tracked a blended version of cloud and retail. So uh, I think we should all expect any of these huge stocks, these big winners, to have these periods of just going sideways or worse for long periods of time without notice. Uh, but to me, it doesn't say that the overall market is so acutely dependent on a handful of stocks that it all comes uh, kind of tumbling down if they don't continue to perform, guys. Yeah. Speaking of the overall market, Mike, uh, this morning I saw on a list of contrarian indicators uh, depressed sentiment and hedge fund de-risking as reasons why yeah. this uh, might not be getting overheated and might portend at least decent things for Q1. How valid is that? 
I think it's quite valid. We did get a pretty good reset in positioning and sentiment over the course of November and December in particular. And so, you know, in a, in a way, it goes to that first point, which is it's been really hard to keep up with the indexes. I think only about 20% of all active mutual funds, equity mutual funds, have kept up with the S&P 500. And along the way, there's been these scares and these massive kind of narrow corrections that have kept sentiment uh, from getting out of hand to the upside. I worry more when it's an indiscriminate prolonged melt-up going into a new year and everybody thinks it's really easy. Nobody's really exiting 2021 with that feeling like, yeah, we got this in the bag. That was an easy one. Right. And one of the places that we have seen weaknesses, Mike, are those high growth names um, that saw such huge gains in 2020. And while I've been off over the last few weeks, certainly cases from Omicron have risen. But uh, these classic stay-at-home names like Zoom and Peloton haven't really done anything either. No, and I really think that's much more about, you know, the kind of unique circumstances that took those types of stocks to fairly extreme valuations, uh, the, the sort of broken momentum after that went by the wayside has been tough to recover because it's not as if they're outright cheap on an ongoing basis if you can consider somewhat of a normal economy. So that's one of the reasons that I do think uh, people have become frustrated. A lot of hedge funds have kind of liquidated these names. I think good chance you can make that they get some relief going into January, beat up stocks, uh, riskier stocks, lower quality stocks tend to actually have a revival into a, a new year if the pattern's going to hold. But it doesn't mean they're going to lead the market from here. Mike, good, good way to start the hour. Appreciate that, as always. Uh, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Here, Mike mentions Amazon, and we want to stick with the retail numbers because the holiday sales data was pretty hot, especially when you drill down into e-commerce. Courtney Reagan's got a download of those numbers. Hey, Court. Hi, Carl. Yeah, so another strong holiday for online sales, up 11% compared to last year, up 61.4% from 2019. Now, that's between November 1st and Christmas Eve across all forms of payment, according to MasterCard's spending pulse. Online sales made up nearly 21% of total retail sales. That's up from 20.6% in 2020 and 14.6% in 2019. Apparel sales growing an impressive 47 plus percent, followed by jewelry up 32 Department store sales gaining more than 21%, and the always popular electronic category saw sales increase more than 16%, again from November 1st to December 24th. Now, Amazon will likely be a winner for the season across categories, from apparel to electronics to home goods. A number of analysts also think Macy's will prove to be a winner this season, and these MasterCard numbers may further confirm that. It's a department store that's a big seller of apparel with a big e commerce operation. All of those saw nice sales increases. Lululemon, another likely apparel winner. The retailer gets about 40% of its revenue online and saw that segment up 23% for the quarter ended October 31st. So some of that could have been early holiday buying. Shopify also reported strong Thanksgiving weekend sales for its merchants, often those small and medium businesses selling goods to consumers. That will likely be a winner for the season too. And the season isn't necessarily over. This is a very big week for retailers to entice shoppers to make exchanges instead of returns and for consumers to cash in those gift cards, take advantage of the discounts that are always happening in this final week of the year. Back over to you. Hey, Courtney, it's also a good chance to bring in our guest host for the hour, Joanna, who I know has uh, been deep in all things metaverse. As we look at sort of some of the best-selling products, Oculus, uh, 
anecdotally being one of them, we've seen lots about how the app, Joanna, was top of the app store. We're looking at some of the other metaverse plays today, which are outperforming. Is this sort of, do you think, vindication of Facebook's strategy to go all in? Yeah, no, it was uh, over the weekend, over uh, Christmas, there was you know, always a good indication of what are the top gadget gifts are the apps in the Apple App Store, which are topping you know, the free apps. And so Oculus held that spot pretty much all weekend, which is pretty impressive for them. Not surprising given the marketing they were doing around this. My big question now comes, do those just, do people use them or do they end up in a closet someplace? So mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing you've got to look at for their their efforts in the metaverse into the next year. How are people using these things? Is it just sort of a novelty item? You get somebody, they play a few games, and then they toss it aside. That's a really, really good point. It reminds me of the story, I think Bloomberg had it last week, Joanna, about Alexa and the percentage yep. of people who get an Alexa, either as a gift or a purchase, and then stop using it really within a matter of months. I mean, adoption is not adoption doesn't end at the sales counter. Yeah, and actually, same thing you saw this. I was thinking the same exact thing when I was looking at those top charts. Amazon was on there, right? The Alexa app was on there, indicating that lots of people turned on Alexa on Christmas morning and interacted, and maybe it was a new form of Alexa and an Echo Show or something like that. But again, that, that story was great. Do people continue to use it through the year? Or is it just sort of the Christmas morning, winter fad, and then it ends up in the closet or in the basement or the dog is wearing the headset? I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. I still use my Alexa. Um, but the metaverse you know, can be so much more than the Oculus. So if we get away from the hardware side of this, and Courtney, here's a question to you. Um, I talked about some of the other metaverse names that are up today. Roblox is one of them, up more than 4%. Any information about sort of which games were downloaded? You know, Roblox, Fortnite being one, so certainly tie into that metaverse theme. Yeah, I don't have that that early data yet for the exact games, but I know that that PlayStation 5, as far as a gaming console, was a really, really hard one to get their hands on, really for anyone. We talked a little bit about Grinch bots and how actually consumers were trying to use them to buy or rent a bot to try to help them get one of those PlayStation 5s to be able to play a number of different popular games. So we'll see exactly how that all shook out because I think they were really hard for folks to get their hands on, at least from a primary source if it wasn't sort of bought secondhand. Court, um, we're going to be talking a lot more about gift card redemptions and supply chain in the coming weeks. Uh, but what a boatload of data today. That's for Courtney Reagan. Court, thanks. Oh, yeah. Let's get back to the broader market. Our next guest says uh, do not short tech going into 2022. Joining us this morning, Wilmington Trust, uh, head of investment strategy, Megan Shu joins us. Megan, you, you raised a lot of great points. A cloud, the build out of 5G, social media, obviously the resupply of uh, semiconductors, as one reason why, at least in hardware, uh, it's going to be a a tough short if you're going to try it. Yeah, Carl, thanks for having me. Um, I I totally agree. I think there's a lot of uh, potential negativity around tech, concern around valuations. And as I think about the last year to two years of, of market activity and really the narrative around the tech sector, it's been very rates driven, Uh, pandemic-related, lockdown-related, and more short-term. I think as long as you have an investment horizon that is more than two to three years, which most of uh, the investment community does, our investor base certainly does, um, you're looking at a really positive tailwinds for technology. Um, One thing in particular that, that we've been focused on is related to the labor participation rate. 
and really the lack of movement of workers back into the labor force. One of the reasons for that is because we're seeing a record number of new business applications this year in 2021. And we see that as, as a significant tailwind for CapEx and specifically tech-related CapEx um, as it relates to cloud software, some hardware spending, um, and then also the, the social media and ad-based platforms should benefit from that new business activity as well. So basically, you're, you're thinking to yourself, uh, all the plug-and-play applications you need, in addition to, like, office equipment, is that sort of the sweet spot in your view? I, I do think it's a diversified play on tech, and I'd be very careful around some of the, the more elevated valuations, call it the top quintile evaluations in the tech sector. But I think as you look about, look around at the economy, we're we're in a deceleration phase, but our expectation, and, and we spent some time talking about this in our 2022 uh, outlook, is for the economy to almost reverse back into a reacceleration phase. And in that environment, if you see inflation coming down, you see this new business creation continuing. I think it's a really good opportunity for software um, as well as as well as some of that hardware. So be diversified. Um, but the cloud spending is likely to grow 20 to 30 percent per year from here. So there's a lot of uh, growth to be had. And as long as you can look through what's likely to be some shorter term volatility as interest rates move higher, because our expectation is for interest rates to move higher, um, I think you're going to get some some attractive uh, entry points for mm. some of these more moderately valued tech plays. Right. And Megan, when you say that there's positive tailwinds for tech, you know, who's set to really take advantage of it? Is it the mega cap names or is it some of the smaller, not so small, but, you know, these names like Zoom and DocuSign that have seen these valuation resets this year? Uh, who, who's set to gain if, if that does continue, if we do see that next year? Well, some of the larger names, uh, I think, do have clearly that market share, that power to be Working through what could be uh, tighter regulations as we move into 2022 and see some of the focus shift back to to the tech uh, regulations in Congress, which um, could could definitely happen. And I think those bigger companies just have the deeper pockets to deal with that type of a headwind. Um, I would also say that that smaller tech. So you mentioned some of the smaller companies within the large cap space, but it's been really interesting to see how differently the market has played out in small cap space, where small cap tech and small cap growth has really not done nearly as well as it has in large cap space. Um, so I think there's some opportunity there where valuations are just much more reasonable and there has just not been as much investor flow and investor enthusiasm into small cap tech. Right. But Megan, looking at sort of their performance over the last few weeks, it feels like the Fed and the prospect of tightening for their tightening next year is the major force at play here, not these sort of digital underlying trends that have driven them over the past few years. So how do they respond in a tightening environment? I don't know. If well, I think the I think the underlying trends should be what investors are focusing on, which which gets back to my my one of my earlier comments about extending your investment horizon. But I think the in the shorter term, the focus and the market movement is definitely going to be on what the outlook is for monetary policy. The good news, I think, for the tech sector is that we've already priced in a fair amount of Fed activity for 2022. And I think that the three hikes that are being telegraphed by the Fed um, through their dot plot is 
probably, in our view, the, the top end um, of, in terms of rate expectations. And we're unlikely to go higher from there. If anything, we're probably more likely to see uh, one to two hikes rather than three. I think that could be a favorable environment. But still, I think the 10-year yield is uh, way too low for where it should be. I think we're likely to see it move towards two to two and a quarter percent by the end of next year. And that could be a challenging environment for those, those highest valued um, tech companies. Yeah. Well, high for the year so far was 177, even though a lot of people thought we would get to two uh, sometime in 2021. It's going to be interesting. Megan, thanks so much. Always good to see you. Megan Shu, Wilmington Trust. Thank you. And after the break, why our next guest says the sluggish year for internet stocks has been constructive for valuations and has the sector positioned for a breakout in 2022. Tech Check is just getting started. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Time for a gut check on GoDaddy. The journal says the activist hedge fund Starboard Value, run by Jeff Smith, uh, Jeff Smith now owns about 6.5% of the Internet domain firm, uh, worth about $800 million. GoDaddy shares are about flat over the last three years. Starboard uh, typically tries to get companies to take measures to improve performance, increase margins, restructure the business. Journal also points out they are known for seeking board seats after amassing positions like this. But... 83 bucks going to be about a five-month high on uh, GoDaddy, D. That's a big jump, nearly 10%. We're going to turn now to Internet picks for the year ahead. Tourist calling 2022 a catch-up year for the sector after a sluggish 2021. Bullish on names including Google, Meta, DoorDash, and GoDaddy, which we just mentioned. Joining us now, Tourist Senior Internet Analyst Yousef Scully. Yousef, good morning to you and happy holidays. Uh, we heard a similar tone from Megan a few minutes ago. She's positive on tech going into the next year. Uh, which parts of the sector and what about the Fed? It seems that a lot of these names, especially the higher growth ones, are reacting more to a potential Fed tightening next year, not these underlying digital trends that came with the pandemic. Yes. Good morning, Deidre. And happy holidays to you guys as well. So a couple of questions there. So uh, stepping back and looking at 2021, it was kind of a great year from a fundamental standpoint. I think e-commerce was up almost 20%. Online advertising was up, was up over 30%. Yet the internet, our internet index, the True Securities Internet Index, was down about 2 to 3%, which tells you that exactly to your point, the macro kind of really kind of had much more of an impact, uh, macro concerns around uh, inflation, around supply chain issues, et cetera. 
has had much more of an impact on valuations. Now we sit here looking at, you know, a 2022 or valuations for big tech like uh, an Alphabet or Google, like Meta or Facebook, uh, at a almost a, you know, uh, certainly at the lower end of their historical range, which we believe, you know, kind of positions these names to do really well next year. Not all internet stocks are created equal. Clearly, when we put out our 2022 outlook, I think um, people weren't necessarily surprised by how well or how uh, uh, Alphabet, again, and, and, and Meta uh, were topics of ours. They were more surprised by how Amazon weren't on the list. This is the first time we haven't had Amazon on our, on our top uh, uh, 10 list right. for basically t- the last 10 years. And we talked about that divergence, you know, Meta and Google versus Amazon at the start of the show and what a divergence it has been this year with Amazon really underperforming. But you like advertising next year, Amazon increasingly becoming a player in that space. Does that offset uh, some of the e-commerce weakness that we might see? And also, of course, major cloud play. So is there value in in an Amazon right now? That's fair. That's a fair point. I think on the marketplace side of things, which is really the, 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 the nuance we're trying to point out, Amazon is no longer, at least over the, 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 the short term, say the next 12 months, is no longer going to be gaining share, beating and raising, which we've been accustomed to by Amazon for the last you know, 10 years. Our channel checks suggest, one, that Q4 is tracking to meh, online quarter, maybe slightly better, maybe even a miss. Uh, it's also showing that from a, an e-commerce market share standpoint, this is really the first quarter where they're going to be the first seasonally strong Q4, where they're going to basically grow in line with the market. Whereas last year, they went from claiming something like 39 cents of every dollar spent in uh, a Q4 of, 20, uh, of 2019 to 44 cents of every dollar spent during the holidays in 2020. In 2021, we think that's gonna basically flatten out. We're technically cautious on Amazon, so we still have a buy. All we're saying is Amazon needs to really get their one day delivery uh, effort to encompass the vast majority of their inventory before we can start seeing them gaining more share. And that's gonna take billions of dollars and that's gonna take at least the next 12 months for them to do that. On the advertising side, you're absolutely correct. Amazon is gaining gobs of market share in in advertising, but they still have about 10% market share, maybe even a little less. And AWS is obviously, you know, uh, the the, the killer uh, app in in, in cloud computing. The only issue there is we already know that. We already, you know, value Amazon on a very wealthy or a very healthy uh, AWS business and same with online advertising. Again, the new wrinkle is around marketplace. Yusuf, in the last quarter, we heard uh, you know, quite a bit from Snap and Facebook about the hit that the advertising businesses took from iOS, 15, uh, iOS 14.5 with Apple's privacy settings. Is, is part of your uh, optimism that these companies have rebounded from that in the next couple of quarters and into 2022? Well, Google never really got impacted by it to a very small extent, YouTube. But by and large, we think search has done extremely well uh, in that environment and will continue to do well. And that's because Google or Alphabet continues to invest 
more than any other company we cover in machine learning and artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence. And that's what and the, what is that what what that is doing is increase search relevancy, increase click through rates, increase pricing and ROI for advertisers, and they're participating on that. On Facebook, it's slightly different issue. Facebook definitely got impacted by ATT or the Apple changes. We think if you look at expectations for Facebook for Q4 and into 2022, we think we're already reflecting the, that the, the 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 required conservatism to take into account the ATT changes. But yes, that is part of our logic in recommending those two. Yeah, and Yusuf, some argue that uh, Alphabet or Google actually benefited from those changes. Yusuf, thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Yusuf Squally. Thanks, guys. Still to come this morning, Apple facing some scrutiny overseas for alleged changes to its App Store policies. Plus, lawmakers urge the president to play a larger role in regulating big tech. All of that continues after the break. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, Joanna Stern of The Wall Street Journal with us today. NASDAQ's trying to make it four positive sessions in a row as we kick off the last trading week of 2021. But a few companies are still deep in the red. Check out the big laggards on the NDX this year. Peloton and some Chinese tech lead to the downside. We'll get more on that in just a moment. First, though, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Carl, and here's what's happening at this hour. Let's stick with the markets. The S&P 500 setting its first intraday record high in more than a month. Stocks getting a nice boost from a MasterCard report that holiday retail sales grew at their fastest pace in 17 years. Some of the biggest losers, however, are airline stocks. Flight cancellations continue at a high pace today with more than 900 in the U.S., according to tracking site FlightAware. Staffing shortages caused by rising COVID cases affected many of the flights, and then harsh weather in the West also added to those disruptions. Cruise line stocks getting hit even harder than the airline shares. A Holland America ship was denied entry to a Mexican port after crew members tested positive for COVID, and at least three Florida-based cruise ships had passengers test positive over the weekend. And movie theaters are enjoying a mega hit. Spider-Man No Way Home is the first film during the pandemic to gross a billion dollars worldwide. It passed that milestone in just 12 days. Only two other movies have hit the billion dollar mark faster. Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. Carl, movie theaters certainly needed a win after the last few years they've had. So good to see it. Yeah. 
That's going to be the one. Thanks, Rahel, uh, Rahel Solomon. Apple, this uh, meantime, is facing some antitrust scrutiny. The uh, Netherlands' top competition regu regulator claiming the tech giant's App Store fees violated the country. Uh, the country's antitrust laws specific, specifically focused on dating apps. Apple must allow providers like Match to let customers use alternate payment systems. Apple's got until January 15 to comply or face a 50 million euro fine. Apple says it's going to appeal the decision, but it comes as it and other big tech firms are fighting antitrust legislation back home. Both Democrats and Republicans calling on the White House to increase their involvement to get their more than half a dozen bills across the finish line. Investment analysis firm Cowan Washington Research Group estimates the president's support will greatly increase those chances. While much of the White House's recent focus has been on infrastructure, senior administration official tells the journal that President Biden has long supported Section 230 reform and has asked the FTC to address unfair data collection and surveillance practices by big tech companies. Joanna, we were just talking about the prospect of more tech regulation uh, in, the, in the coming year and uh, putting the White House behind it would give it some new life. Yeah, not, I'm honestly not surprised to see many of these lawmakers just pushing the White House to do something. They've had numerous bills sort of circling the wagon for the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to push through I mean, specifically some of the legislation around kids in tech. COPPA 2.0 is a big one that uh, some, are, some like Senator Marquis are trying to get through. Uh, Blumenthal obviously was also quoted in this piece by the Journal talking about how he would really like to see some support from the White House. Uh, I heard Amy Klobuchar on Kara Swisher's Pivot podcast over the last week also talking about how in 2022 she's really hoping to see some of these uh, algorithm uh, type of legislation go through. So everyone's sort of just hoping and waiting that 2022 will be the year that something will go through. Yeah, hoping and waiting. That's key, Joanna. We started the year talking about these sort of antitrust pressures. We're ending the year talking about them. Is 2022 going to be any different than 2020 or 2021, Carl? We have so many analysts that come on the program and have buy ratings. They say, yes, that this regulation is a risk, but continue to have those buy ratings. We continue to see those stocks go up. What will be different this upcoming year? Perhaps the White House will get more involved, although I find that little tough to believe as well, because we go back to the fact that users still like these companies, Carl. There's that issue, Dee. And, and Joanna, there's the uh, added complication that in some cases, I mean, Meta is one example, where the element of the business that regulation has targeted for years now uh, is sort of becoming old hat. And they're moving on to bigger and better things, whether that's new platforms or new technologies. There's a sense somehow that uh, regulation in general, uh, and always has, been chasing the last storm, not the next one. Yeah, I, my thing is I really think we're going to see something regarding kids and social media in 2022. This is an area no one will fight on, right? They all agree right. that there needs to be better protection for younger users on these platforms. So I think that is more of a sure bet than when you look at the sort of the, the vague mm -hmm. algorithm legislation or some of the other uh, sort of antitrust legislation. Yeah, and even that may be too slow, right? We, we started the show by talking about uh, Oculus being the most downloaded app. Will regulation be late to come to the metaverse, to VR? Uh, we shall see. Up next, though, recent IPOs. They have underperformed the market by a wide margin this year, but that hasn't stopped the enormous flow of money into venture capital, IPOs, SPACs, and traditional listings. We will look at that next. Plus, speaking of recent IPOs, check out DD Lower after the FT reports the company is blocking employees from selling any more shares as it prepares to delist from the U.S. We'll have more on that coming up next.
We got that all-time high on the S&P this morning, and the semis are definitely participating. Check out the socks. Intraday, all-time high for the iShare Semiconductor ETF, along with AMAT and Broadcom and KLA on Semi and Teradyne, all setting some new intraday records this morning. That Semi's ETF, by the way, up more than 45% for the year, a better year-to-date performance than Apple D. Yeah, and speaking of relative performance, uh, Robinhood, Bumble, Didi, all of those companies went public this year, and they have all seen their shares slide. It has been a terrible year for recent listings. And yet, Leslie Picker, we continue to see more IPOs and SPACs and direct listings. Uh, 2021 will end as a record year in terms of money raised. I keep asking this question, Leslie, when is this going to hit private mm-hmm. markets? And there really hasn't been any indication that it has. We have companies on all the time that are raising rounds at ever higher valuations, like Databricks most recently. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, actually, Deirdre, because usually what happens in the public market does, it, it is a lagging indicator, but it does ultimately affect the private markets. But to your point. We haven't yet seen that. And with the onslaught of deals this year, you'd think performance would be better. IPOs notching a record in 2021 in terms of standalone operating companies, which raked in $156 billion combined with special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs. The capital markets generated $318 billion worth of new issues. By far a record, even adjusting for inflation. Now, those numbers alone may indicate a healthy IPO market, but take a look at performance. On average, IPOs of 2021 are down 11% this year, while the NASDAQ is up 22%. That's a massive source of negative alpha for investors who bought in. Now, short interest ticked higher for some of the larger deals in recent weeks, including Rivian, Roblox and Robinhood, according to S3 Partners, as investors look to capitalize on the sell-off and high-growth profitless names that's taken place more recently. Now, this underperformance will likely elicit more caution from investors in the new year to put more capital to work in future deals as they sit underwater in previous ones. Two large sources of deal flow in the first half of the year, SPACs and Chinese companies listing in the U.S., are also expected to be more muted in 2022. Capital markets experts are expecting additional regulations for SPACs, especially when it comes to disclosure, liability and compensation. And while 34 Chinese companies went public in the U.S. during the first half of the year, only three have listed since July, a massive chill brought upon by a regulatory shift in both the U.S. and and China. Just over the weekend, for example, Chinese Securities Regulatory Commission released new rules for companies looking to list overseas, including the sudden halting of any deal that may be deemed a threat to Chinese national security. Of course, the U.S. has always been a hot spot for Chinese companies looking to raise capital, guys. Hey, Leslie, what do you think this sort of means for the, the early 2022 IPO uh, trajectory? We've been like, hearing about Reddit, we're hearing about Instacart, Stripe. Uh, still on track. What, what are you hearing? Yeah, so far they're still on track, although I think a lot of these deals were hoping to maybe list this year and got pushed out with some of the recent activity that we've seen because really the performance was fine up until maybe the fourth quarter of this year. Fourth quarter is where things really started to fall apart for a lot of these names as we saw a shift in monetary policy, a sell-off in some of these companies that Profits were a bit more difficult to project out into the future. And so those have been kind of pushed back into, you know, first quarter, second quarter of 2022. However, it'll be interesting to see whether the market activity really changes that. Bankers I've spoken with say that it's really going to be a focus on fundamentals in a way that we haven't seen in recent years. And that could provide some opportunity for private equity firms to exit some of their industrials, financial, some of the more slower growing but profitable companies.
Hmm, fascinating. I look forward to that. Leslie, thank you, our Leslie Picker. By the way, we should point out two IPOs that did uh, particularly well this year were Roblox and AppLoving, uh, both gaming platforms, both metaverse plays, strong debuts, strong 2021. Coming up next, a look at the top tech stock of this year and an argument against Bitcoin. Stay with us. Let's get a gut check on Alphabet. It is the top performing mega cap name for 2021, up nearly 70 percent. And with just five trading days left in the year, it is looking impossible to catch. CNBC.com's Jen Elias out with an article on why the tech giant did so well this year, closing in on the company's best yearly gain since 2009. Alphabet has been resilient during the pandemic and the recent uptick in inflation. The company's advertising revenue showing big gains, holding up well amid Apple's iOS changes, even benefiting YouTube seeing immense growth this year as well, the most of any social media app among Americans in the pandemic. And that's according to the Pew Research Center. Plus, Google's cloud business also climbing higher, narrowing losses there. It's also interesting, though, we got to point out the five-year chart. Here is Fang plus Microsoft versus Alphabet to the big ad platforms, Google and Facebook, now Alphabet and Meta. They have actually underperformed for a wide margin in this time period, those white and green lines at the bottom on your screen there, uh, well, Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, Netflix as well, they're all clustered at the top of that chart, doubling those returns, Carl. Yeah, interesting to hear Yusuf Scully uh, prefer digital advertising over e-commerce. Says a lot about uh, that chart right there. Still to come this morning, guys, uh, why our next guest says comparing Bitcoin to a Ponzi scheme is unfair to Ponzi schemes. We're back in two. Bitcoin back above 51,000 after holding on to a slight Christmas rally, but the cryptocurrency is still down more than 20% after closing at an all-time high above 67K last month. Our next guest just wrote a piece titled Why Bitcoin is Worse Than a Madoff-Style Ponzi Scheme. Joining us now, non-resident senior fellow at the Global Development Policy Center at Boston University and Oxford University faculty member, Robert McCulley. Uh, Robert, I can only imagine the kind of feedback you have received from such a piece. Why don't you lay out the argument for us first and how Bitcoin, since it cannot end in a run, could end in a crash? Sure, Deirdre. A lot of people say that uh, Bitcoin is just a Ponzi. Even economists say that. But I think that's wrong. It's worse than a Ponzi in a couple of key respects. For one thing, in a Ponzi, if there's a run, if the scheme collapses, you wait around long enough, you might get a sizable chunk of your money back. In fact, uh, what, some 12 years on, 13 years on, the investors in Madoff scheme are up to 70 cents on the dollar, and it's still rising. Every dollar they put in, they've gotten back 70 cents from the bankruptcy court. What happens if Bitcoin collapses? Well, there's going to be nobody you can go after. You end up with nothing. Uh, I guess that is one possibility, although... With every moment in which there is not a collapse, 
there's the potential for some legitimate use case to come about. And I wonder if you think that's what the Bulls are counting on. Well, Carl, it's, it's been a while. We've been waiting for the, for the use case. Originally, it was going to be a marvelous transaction vehicle. It turns out it's pretty clunky as a way of making payments when lots of people are trying to make payments. There's congestion. Things slow down. It gets expensive. It doesn't look like a real good payments mechanism. New ideas are coming down the pike for what it'll get us eventually, but we're we're still sort of sort of waiting. So I, I take your point on the optionality, but it's been a while now. Robert, this is Joanna over here. You you make a, a strong point in your piece about the cost being a lot around the miners and and the electricity we're using. There there's some that say this is going to go down. Would that affect your argument at all? Well, Joanne, you, thanks for bringing that up because I I really want to make the point that there's another respect in which Bitcoin and Ethereum to date are worse than a Ponzi, and that is that they're negative-sum games. What is a Ponzi? Ponzi, you take from Peter, you give to Paul. You might cut yourself in for some, but basically it's a redistributive game. With Bitcoin, though, every day there's money being paid to miners by investors, and that money is mostly going up the flue. It's mostly going up in smoke. It's mostly burning electricity, going through machinery. And that's all social cost. That's all law. So even if you could, in the event of a collapse of Bitcoin, even if you could try to go after the money, a lot of the money, some over $20 billion to, to date, is gone. It's, it's gone. It's not there to be recovered. And, and that makes it worse than a Ponzi. Right. But, Robert, underlying your thesis is that this would have to end in a kind of crash. And you point to the role of stable coins and the lack of transparency there, something that could trigger a run and the collapse of Bitcoin. Uh, but I wonder if, if, you know, stable coins like Tether are cleaning up things behind the scenes, getting ready, as they say, for an audit, or we get a central bank digital currency before we see a run on those stable coins. Does that take out one of the riskiest parts of the space? Well, it's sort of a known unknown what could make Bitcoin tank. I mean, what you know is that it's a kind of zero coupon perpetual. There's, there's no income promise. There's no ultimate payment of, of the corpus. It's, it's, just, it's just there. It's a zero coupon uh, perpetual. So there's, there's nothing in principle that keeps it from falling to worthlessness. And, and so saying what will take it there is probably a, a mug's game. But certainly an easy to imagine scenario is that one of these stable coins falls apart. They're sort of unregulated money market funds. And we had a regulated money market fund break the buck back in 2008 and cause a huge amount of havoc in, throughout the financial system. So in the highly leveraged trading of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies against these stable coins, suddenly the, the airsots dollar, the phony dollar falling apart, that could just wreak havoc through the whole leverage ecology of, right. of 
Bitcoin and the others. That's that's an easy to imagine scenario. I, I, I give you another if you like. <laughs> Well, Bob, we'd love to hear it. Uh, we'll read about it because we're out of time. Certainly a provocative piece, and I'm sure um, you've received lots of lots of comments and blowback on it, but it's great to have you on the show. Uh, Robert McCauley, thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Have a great new year. You too. Meantime, don't forget, Tech Check is a podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. S&P 4770, we're back in a moment. One more thing before we go. Joanna has a piece with some of her colleagues at the journal titled Tech That Will Change Your Life in 2022. Uh, They look at earbuds, drone package delivery. Uh, But, Joanna, maybe it's not an accident that you put affordable EVs at the top of the list. (laughs) Why? You don't think it's going to happen? No, I I think it's very much going to happen. I wonder if I mean, it's not at any particular priority, right? It's not in any particular priority, no, but I think that's the, the biggest, one of the bigger question marks, right? Will these actually ship? Will people actually buy them? I mean, definitely some promising, uh, some promising trajectory on EVs in 2022. But my favorite thing about this piece is that um, we can make lots of predictions and then we can be wrong. So, you know, um, but it might... No, go for it, Deirdre. I was just going to say, Joanna, you and I were joking before the show offline about robots that might be able to take care of our kids. Um, And I noticed that these home assistants, the roaming ones, are on your list, though they most likely won't take care of our kids. Uh, They're just going to sort of be there and fade into the background. Do you think that there's any parts of this that are overhyped that could be on your list that you're maybe not putting too high up there, maybe a moonshot even for you guys to predict? Um, yeah, but you're, uh, you're a better mother because my kids are being watched <laughs> by the Roomba right now. So that's, that's just a comment on me. Um, yeah, I mean, the fun thing about this list is like, you get to, we get to look at, maybe we are kind of living in the future, right? Like we have drone deliveries, but it's really only in North Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one, like, you know, drone deliveries are, I would not say coming to everybody this year. I would say, uh, similarly, yes, the home robot, we're not all getting this. This is the, you know, the Amazon Astro is in a beta period right now with Amazon. I talked to an executive there a couple of weeks ago. They said they're really encouraged by the number of people. So they're now trying to up inventory there. But uh, certainly not everyone is buying a, you know, a $1,000, $2,000 home robot right now. Yeah, it's a great piece. Uh, and you even say, I mean, your discussion of uh, mixed reality or AR, VR, you say, look, we've been promising uh, or saying that virtual reality will change your life for half a decade now. But as we know, uh, tech innovation comes in fits and starts, Joanna. It's a, uh, it's a great piece. Everybody should take a look. Appreciate you having us, with us, line, having yes. you with us today, uh, Joanna Stern. Uh, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so we kick off a, uh, a uh, light holiday week. Let's get to the half and the judge. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. 
Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.